0: And so what I really encourage people to do who want to be active operators is to go do a joint venture, right? Get some tuna in the boat. That's what I call it. If you've ever been deep sea fishing, yeah, if you've ever been deep sea fishing, you go do one of these smaller deals. If you go and really dig into every educator's background, that's what they did. They did one of these smaller deals, got started, and then they came back, they made some money, And I liken this to when you get back to the dock after you've been fishing all day, they lay out all the fish so people could see what your take was. And guess what? If you got a bunch of fish, when you come back, there's going to be people who want to go out with you next time you go out on your boat. Right. And so that's how you start building your reputation. You start building a track record. And honestly, that word of math referral, that'll bring you the investors that you need to go do a syndication.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jerome Myers. Jerome is the preeminent authority of dream realization, a believer that dreams can and should be real. Jerome left the corporate America gig when he realized that his role offered financial gain, but yet offered him little significance. Today, he is the founder of the Myers Method and the Myers Development Group. He has been featured in Business Insider and numerous top rated podcasts on iTunes. His company, the Myers Development Group, has a multi million dollar portfolio following the principles that he has created in his Myers Method. To top it all off, Jerome is hugely passionate about workforce housing in the multifamily space and using this investment vehicle to help the community, but also help his investors achieve financial freedom along the way. I'm really pumped and excited to have him out here on the show. But enough of to me, let's get him out here. G'day mate, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: Amazing Reed, so good to be with you. I've been following your journey for the past few years, man. And it's just super cool to see somebody leave all the way from Australia and come here and make a fortune, man. So inspiring <laughs> for sure.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, my friend. I, uh, I I didn't know you were a fan, so th- thanks a lot. I'm, I'm glad to have you on the show, and we actually connected on LinkedIn and all your stuff you're doing there, and I, I want to talk about that in a minute. But before we get into what you're doing today, let's rewind the clock, and uh, tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid.
0: Yeah, I think the real dollar that I can remember was cutting grass for neighbors, Right. I, I was the kid who took my dad's lawnmower and his gas and I went to other people's yards <laughs> and I cut their grass because I had to cut the grass at home for free. And I realized <laughs> that uh, there were some folks who lived in my neighborhood who only had daughters and the dads didn't want to cut the grass. And so I was the guy who would get 20, 40 dollars, depending on how big the yard was. And I I did that and I did it for the whole summer and it was hot and but it was worth it. I
1: got some shoes and some other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Spending it all the good things that you want to do when you're a kid, right?
0: Without a question, man.
1: Mate, so tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you got involved in this freedom mindset that that we're going to talk a lot about on today's show. But where did it all start? And, and maybe walk us through the journey to get to realization that you, you know, as, as I said in the intro. You were in a corporate gig, but you didn't love it. So, so, where did it all start?
0: Yeah, it's kind of when I got my innocence stolen. And so, for you, you're out in LA, right? But for me, I grew mm-hmm. up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I'm in the front yard with my mom playing one day. I got my Tonka trucks out and I'm moving them around. And I hear the trash truck come around the corner and he stops. And we were the third or fourth house in and he gets to our yard. He runs over there. He pops the lid off. It just kind of spins around in a circle, falls down. He grabs the trash can, spins around, dumps it in there. And then he does the most important thing. Reed, what's he do? He pulls that lever, baby. And I go nuts. I go nuts. He pulls the lever in front of the house. It crushes the trash. And I'm like, mommy, I want to be a trash man. And she looks at me and says, baby, being a trash man isn't going to afford you the lifestyle you want to live. I said, but mommy, like Lonnie gets to play with his kids every day after school because he gets off around three o'clock. And my daddy doesn't come home until six because he works Carolina half days. He leaves before six and comes back at six and she said but your lifestyle is different you can't buy nike's and have nice cars and live in a nice house if you do that and i said but i want to be like able to play with my kids and she said i understand you need to go find a career job that's going to pay you to live the lifestyle you want to live and you know, that whole dream of being a trash man was taken away. She said, maybe you can own the trash company, but being the trash man isn't going to give you a life you want to live. And so I put that in my pocket and I started growing up. And as I got ready to leave high school and was trying to figure out what I was going to study in college, I asked my physics teachers, Mr. Ayers, you know, I like solving problems. I don't know if I want to be a psychologist or an engineer. He said, well, Jerome, I think you'd be good at both. Uh, but one pays is a whole lot different than the other. So I went back to five-year-old where my mom's looking at me and telling me I can't be a trash man. I said, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be an engineer because those salaries are almost double what a psychologist would be starting out. And so that's what I go do. And, you know, we get a degree and then we go work in corporate and we excel, excel, feel like our career is on a rocket ship. And then 2009 happens. My sponsor gets... Laid off, his position gets eliminated, and I'm stuck in the job I hate for three years and a few months and days and hours. I can't remember now; it's been so long ago. And eventually, I get out of that. Fast forward to the end of my corporate career, I was employee number two in a division that went from two to 175 employees over the course of about eight months. And by the end of the year, we did about 20 million dollars in revenue. I had the P&L responsibilities. We had 30% 30% profit margins. And I get the phone call on Christmas Eve. And I go something like this Hey, Jerome, we're going to lay off about half the folks. I need to know exactly who you need to have. And we're going to do it right after the holiday. And I start bickering and arguing, saying, No, I need these people. I need everybody because all these people have made adjustments in their life to help me do the thing that you gave me the task of doing. And gets support fifty nine. He says, it's five o'clock on Christmas Eve. I'm going to go enjoy my family. You should do the same. And I didn't. I didn't enjoy my family. I, I didn't enjoy the holiday. In fact, I have a hard time with the holidays, Reed, if I'm totally honest. That thing turned me inside out. And I realized that I'm not good at being the Axe guy. And so we put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And we went through the next year. And the way that I got through that, because I'd stopped eating for a couple of days because of the impact, I said, I'll just never do this again. This will never happen. And two days before Thanksgiving, I'm having a similar conversation, but with the folks that are on the team now, hey, guys, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Please don't spend your check on Black Friday. And that was when I knew that I was going to be a corporate America dropout. And before the end of the year, that's what I did and decided that I was going to go buy an apartment building. That didn't work out the way I thought it was going to, but that was the game plan.
1: Well, first of all, I want to say you're not the first engineer to be on the show. So what engineering did you study? Civil. Oh, mate, we're talking to another. I am a civil engineer as well. <laughs> a recovering civil engineer, as we all like to say. Yeah. But um, that would have been pretty hard. And sounds like you really... You were able to help build a business, but then the responsibilities of being in the business of being the axe man as you said, sounds like it weighed pretty heavily on you. And that's more of a personal thing and that's it's awesome. But it would have also had some demons, you know, as you said, you didn't eat for two days. So how did you mentally get over that to say, water down a duck's back and let's move on and let's keep pushing this ball down the fairway.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the highest level, I'm still dealing with it. I consider that a traumatic experience. And I mean, I don't usually say this on podcasts, but one of the folks that I laid off, his family left, he didn't find work. So he lost his home and eventually he committed suicide. Right. And I, in some ways I'm responsible for that. Right. And Sure, I could shrug it off and say, Yeah, well, he didn't have to do that. You didn't pull the trigger, et cetera, et cetera. I get all of that. But, you know, decisions that we made along the way led to this unraveling of this person's life. And if you are okay with just distancing yourself from the humanity of all of it, good for you. I'm not, right? I see people as people. It's super important for me to act in love. And if I can do that, then I feel good about looking myself in the mirror. But if I can't, Then I struggle and it eats at me. And so, you know, the approach that we have to, oh, well, it's just business, it's not personal. I struggle with it because I think everything is personal when you tell somebody, hey, you got to figure out how you're going to eat next week. Right. And I was working extra for you. I had no problem calling people at nine o'clock at night and say, hey, I need this before we start at eight o'clock tomorrow. I I didn't have any problem with it because, and they were willing to do it because I did care about them as people and I would do it for them if they needed me to do it. And that's just the type of culture and team that we built in that organization. And I just wanted to continue to treat people with that dignity and respect throughout our relationship. And if they chose to leave, understandable, but I didn't want to treat them like they were a commodity because I didn't see them that way. And that's what we get Mm -hmm. to when we are dealing with the larger organizations, I think.
1: No, it's, it's, it's really powerful stuff. You know, dealing with humans as commodities is is what a lot of businesses do, right? That's how they make profits and how the world goes around. And it, it, it is that dichotomy between your self-belief and then what the belief of the business is, plus com- combining a culture that you've helped build. And then it sort of seems to, you know, in your mind probably crumble away because you're eroding at that because you don't respect them or the business doesn't respect them or the CEO doesn't respect them. And thus... It plays heavily on you. so no man deep stuff there and and would have ultimately put you on a path which we're going to talk about now which you know about your freedom and your your ability to want to achieve freedom. So talk to me about the time that you did actually eventually say enough's enough and i'm I'm, I'm quitting.
0: Yeah, it was that conversation like and then we came back and it was like, okay, well, here's what's going on. it's like I just I don't have the stomach for doing this again if this is what it looks like going forward. I don't want any parts of it, guys. Like, And so I started digging in on something that I figured out sophomore year of college, right? Me and my buddy are sitting on the stoop, and I'm like, oh, I paid three ninety five. dollars I got two roommates to do the same. Started doing a little bit of calculation in my head. You, you're doing this too. And he's like, yeah, we're doing this. And so I look at Duran. I was like, man, this guy's making $700,000 a year. We've never seen him or talked to him. He's like, what? That's like $700,000, brother. It's like... I could live off of seven hundred thousand. Forget that. I could probably live off seventy. How do we do this? Right? The guy who owned the complex was making seven hundred thousand. We never seen him or talked to him. This is what we want to do, but we didn't have access, right? I told you my dad was a soldier, right? My mom stayed home with me. Nobody with a multi-million dollar portfolio. Nobody like Reed Goosens was coming over to the house to eat at my at my place. A fine chap, right? A great a great mate. He's not coming over to eat dinner with us. And you know, that's that's okay, right? But it's the proximity, it's the access to the people that are actually doing it. That makes a difference. Like when people say your net worth is your net worth it's a real thing. And this came back to bite me, Reed. So when I walk out and I was like, okay, apartments is the next thing. I'm going to build a portfolio. I'm going to live off the portfolio. I go into the banks and I tell them, hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars so I can go buy this deal? And they look at me like, why would we give you a million dollars? I said, well, I just built a $20 million division. I got my engineering license all these things sound really good, don't they? And they're like, yeah, no. I was like, well, what about a Six Sigma Master Black Belt, MBA? any of that? No, we don't care about the 800 credit score. No, none of that matters. What matters is that you haven't signed a loan. You haven't executed this business plan on a deal of similar size before. And because of that, you're a risk. I said, so what do I do? You go find somebody with experience to do the deal with you. I don't know anybody. And that was when it hit me. I almost went two decades and I hadn't changed my network in order to get me to a place where I could do the thing that I knew that I should be and wanted to do. Talk about a slap in the face, made this money, built this business, and I still
1: was no better off or any closer to that dream that I had, man. One that's very self-aware of you, but I want to quickly rewind back. How did you even put one and two together when you're sitting on the stoop? and talking about the rent because the average 20 year old or however old you were at that stage you know young professional probably cr- you know thinking you're crushing it you know getting a bit of money in your pocket how did you even do that math because i know when i was in my early 20s i wasn't doing that math you know what i mean
0: yeah so i think we were 19 and we daron and i used to trade black enterprise magazine worth The four or the rob report, we used to trade all these magazines because we knew that we were going to be able to have this crazy life one day, right? And so we would talk about what we knew, the little that we knew about investing from the resources that we had access to. And in Black Enterprise, there was somebody who was investing in real estate. And we started just trying to count up well, how much money can you actually make there? And like, how do you actually do it? And just it expanded our concept of what was actually possible. But within that construct, we realized, like, well, maybe this isn't for us because, you know, it's hard enough to count to half a million dollars, let alone a million. So how do, how do we actually do something like this? I think it's a game. But that's it. We had those periodicals that we were looking at and having discussions about.
1: That's great. Well, it's not great. It's it's better than great because to take that and just try and take snippets of things and that's what I think the engineering mind does when it's the curiosity in the mind that says, I can read this and then look up and think, hang on, I'm a renter. Hang on, I pay 900 bucks a month. Hang on, there's 50 units in there. I've just read something in here. I'm putting one and two together and that's the engineering brain working it out and it's being one, self-aware, but two, then observant of your surroundings to have those blinkers come off to then say, ah, aha, <laughs> I see how things go, how the world works. Uh, so very interesting and kudos to you, man, for doing that at such a young age because at 19 I definitely wasn't doing that. But now fast forward to where you're talking to the bank and talking about you're trying to get leverage. How did that conversation go and how did you ultimately go and fix that in order to get you to the position you are in today?
0: Yeah, it didn't go right. I went to 10 different banks and they all told me the same thing because I'm stubborn and persistent. And so I said, all right, well, great. Uh, Now what? And so I started fixing the flipping houses. And I'm sitting on the stoop of this 1920s build, $90,000 rehab that we're doing. And we're getting closer to the end. And the guy pulls up in a white Dodge Ram. He hops out. He said, hey, man, I'm an investor in in the neighborhood. I'd love to come in and check out your finishes and see what you've done in here we're going to do a project down the street. I said, like, "Oh, come on, man. Let's let me show you around." "Oh, cool. You took that wall out and you, you put that granite in and a nice big island and you got the sink in there. That's that's pretty snazzy. And you no, know, this tile looks really good. You refinished the hardwood floors, man. We might have to up our game a little bit." And so, he's getting ready to walk out. "Hey, thanks for the tour." And he pauses and he says, "Hey, you know anything about that 23 unit building down there behind the Chimbo Mart? Yeah, of course I do. I tried to buy that four or five months ago. Well, I'm thinking about making an offer on that. Can you give me any intel? I don't really have anything. I went to a bunch of banks. They told me I needed an experienced partner. And I just don't know anybody that owns any multifamily. Oh, okay. I said, do you own anything? He's like, yeah, we've done a couple of deals. We've done a few deals. I was like, you're the guy I've been looking for. Don't leave me out. And he said, well, what are you going to bring to the deal? I said, look, man, that doesn't matter. You're, you're the guy I've been looking for for the past six months. Don't leave me out. Like, we just got to we'll figure out that stuff. Don't worry about that. Just don't leave me out of this deal. And he just kind of shrugs, not committed. in. He's like, all right, man, I'll see you later. He hops in his truck. He drives off and he forgets about me. He goes and makes an offer on the property. And, you know, I'm crushed, right? Because I don't hear from him. I'm thinking, oh, man, I missed my opportunity to get my apartment building. Fast forward a week or so, and I get a phone call, right? He's like, look, man, uh, the the guy came to me. He presented the same deal we were talking about back in January, February. I told him the only way I'd do the deal if you were in on it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, man, we're going to meet at such and such, and you should come by so we can all try to get this thing hashed out. Okay, I'm there, right? And so... The three of us and then two other folks join up and we buy this deal for $1.3 million in Richmond, Virginia, and we think we're going to do one business plan and it goes off the rails. We have to do something completely different, but it got me in the paper, right? That's, that part was super cool. I never forget that part, reading. And so the, the headline says something along the lines of Rising Star Partners with Proven Real Estate Investors to Rehab Churchill Townhomes. Who are they talking about? <laughs> they're talking about me. Talk like, about you, man. Yeah, they're talking about me. So I'm like, okay, here we go. And then the the phone starts ringing, Reed, and it's the banks that didn't want to lend to me before, and they want to tell me about their products. They want me to mm-hmm. talk about refinancing. They want to understand if I got anything else in pipeline. I, I just closed one deal. I don't even know what a pipeline is. <laughs> but we're here now and we're going to make it look like, we're going to make it look real good. And so that, that's the story, man. That's
1: how we got in and connected that's the dots. Awesome. Yeah. So it was through that one gentleman that brought you in the deal and Kismet, universe, woo woo, whatever the hell you want to call it. Like that's, that's bloody awesome. And you've got not, I wouldn't say it's a lucky break because you'd already had tried. It's not lucky. You put yourself, you create your own luck. Um, and so tell me a little bit about the deal. Cause you mentioned earlier on in the piece that you didn't quite go to plan. It went a little bit off the, the rail, the, the railway track. So, so what actually happened and, and how did that deal go and how did that partnership go? Because and I just want to say to all the listeners out there, this is exactly what Jerome has done. He's got his foot in the door. It wasn't about how much money he made on the deal, but he got his foot in the door. That helped prove social proof to himself, to others, but helped him prove to the banks that he can do it. So Jerome, go. What is the, what happened with the deal and, and, and do you still have it today?
0: Yeah, we do still have it. And so I, I'll try to give it sequentially, right? So we bought the deal. Average rents are about six ninety five. And we think we are gonna go in and we're gonna renovate on terms. And as soon as we get there, everybody stops paying rent and the property manager starts evicting. And next thing we know, half the unit is empty and we're looking around like, oh. And so we've got some construction, we got a construction loan from the bank, we got some money in the deal. We're doing the roof, we're doing the siding, landscaping, holding off on the parking lot, but we know we got to do that too. And we're renovating units or trying to renovate units. And then, oh, we don't have permits. Oh, God, here we go, right? Now we got to get the permits, and that delays it. And still paying the bank every month the interest only. And then eventually we get through this stuff, right? And we do everything. I'm talking about add a half bath on the first floor. You got to jackhammer it out because it's on slab. We had a crushed uh, plumbing pipe. The main drain pipe was crushed. And so we had to pull the old one out, put a new one in, uh, redid the electrical, added HVAC. This was the funniest part about the whole thing. So half the buildings had HVAC, the other half didn't. So we budgeted to do the other half. Well, somebody came in while we were waiting on permits, went through the cages, and disassembled all of the HVAC units on the back half of the building. And so now, just so people get an idea, I mean, HVAC units, $4,000. And so for half of those units, we'll just call it 10 to make it easy. I mean, it's actually forty grand that we hadn't budgeted because we had that stuff there already. And so we keep going through this and put in, take out the wall so that it looks and feels bigger on the first floor. Go, granted, it's stainless. It's beautiful. It's immaculate. Oh, and we added a laundry room inside on the first floor because you know we just want to be fancy smancy we get to the end of the road and it's like okay here we go we budget we planned when we did our pro forma we were going to get $8.95 maybe $9.95 if we we're lucky we go to market and we get eleven ninety five, and we're like oh boy here we go this is a totally different game than what we thought we were going to get And so we basically, you know, double the top line and didn't increase the the expenses very much. And so that for us is a game changer. And so we're still holding that property. Um, You know, we're taking distributions and evaluating whether we refi into long-term permanent debt or keep playing with the community bank money so that uh, if there comes opportunity to liquidate, we can do that without worrying about any of the penalties.
1: That's awesome, mate. That's such an incredible story of tripping uh, when you first get started, and everything going wrong. What is it, Murphy's Law? When it all goes wrong at once, and then you know you finally see light at the end of the tunnel, and your performers are completely smashed. That's that's awesome, dude. Um, so, so what's now? We spoke in the green room before pressing record. Here, we talked a lot about you know the, the, these trials and tribulations, the skin on your knees. You know, getting tri- tripping and, and not being able to get to the goals that we want to get to. Yet there's so many people out there who are, you know, banging this drum that it's just you can go jump straight to a 200 unit property and you're, you're set for life, you know. <laughs> and I know you and I both know who they are. We're not going to name names, but I, I do remember vividly coming to the United States and being blown away by the speakers and, and, and the content, which was great. But all of them was like, "Oh, I did this back in two thousand and one, and I did this in two thousand and two, and it's like, what have you done today? This is two thousand and twelve, man. Like, get get with the program. Like, what what's what's show me your current sheet of, of real estate, your portfolio. So what, I want to get your two cents on it because I know you have an opinion uh, about all this stuff that this is this hype around becoming a syndicator and becoming financially free and and what's the real truth of it?
0: Yeah, I mean. The fact of the matter is most people who want to be syndicators aren't going to be. Look, if you haven't run a business, you're not ready to run a syndication because you don't have the experience to actually take the controls and fly that big plane. Right. And sure, you can pay for multifamily mentorship and give somebody thirty to fifty thousand dollars and they promise you that you're going to do a deal, but the deal you're going to do isn't going to be that hundred or 200 unit deal that you think you're gonna get this multi hundred thousand dollar acquisition fee. You're gonna end up going back and doing something that's probably less than 50 units. And you're gonna celebrate the fact that you got into a deal and you might raise some money for the sake of raising money but you may not even need to raise money because you can get a group of partners and you guys can own the whole deal. And so what I really encourage people to do who wanna be active operators, is to go do a joint venture, right? Get some tuna in the boat. That's what I call it. If you've ever been deep sea fishing, yeah, if you've ever been deep sea fishing, you go do one of these smaller deals. If you go and really dig into every educator's background, that's what they did. They did one of these smaller deals, got started, and then they came back, they made some money. And I liken this to when you get back to the dock after you've been fishing all day, they lay out all the fish. So people could see what your take was. And guess what? If you got a bunch of fish when you come back, there's going to be people who want to go out with you next time you go out on your boat, right? And so that's how you start building your reputation. You start building a track record. And honestly, that word of mouth referral, that'll bring you the investors that you need to go do a syndication. And so go do some tuna fishing trips. And then if you're ready to go start well hunting, I call it chasing Moby Dick, get a bigger boat. Right, get some. Make sure you got your C legs together. Uh, The other way I like to describe this, Reed, is, and I, you're you're a big time investor, so I can pick with you a little bit, Reed. I am starting my MMA fighting career, and my first match is going to be with Conor McGregor. Right, I need you to wire me half a million dollars so I can get through the promo, and when we get to the fight, once I beat him, I'll be able to give you a fifteen percent return on your money if I lose, it can and probably will go to zero. I have listened to podcasts. I've read books. haven't really gotten any experience sparring or any of that other stuff, but that's okay because all I do is turn it on when I'm in the car and kind of listen to it passively as I'm doing other things, right? So, Reed, I, I got the wire instructions here. I can either email them to you or I can text them, whichever one you prefer. But, you know, I, I need to have that wire in within the next 24 hours. So which method of communication would you prefer I send those instructions?
1: Uh, you can don't, don't worry because I know Conor McGregor is going to beat you.
0: <laughs> what do you mean? I, I read the books and I listen to the podcast. I went to the conference yeah, too. Mate, I went to, there was an MMA conference. I went to that too.
1: <laughs> there was one of them. No, I, I love the analogy. And I love what you're trying to get at because it's it's so true, right? It's so, there's a lot of pretenders out there. There's a lot of people who just rush to the back of the, co- the classroom when there's a sign up for a new bus tour or something like that. And I remember seeing that when I first came to the United States. And it takes the reps. It takes going that extra mile and staying and starting small and doing those joint ventures because it gives you, in my opinion, a two, couple of things, proof that you can do it in your own self, right? But it also you got to start, you got to crawl before you can walk. And so many people want to just sprint straight away. And I, I think that that's so much part of the undoing of a lot of people's goals and ambitions. And, you know, not just even in real estate, but in life, you know, they, they'd give up because they realize how hard the journey is. And it's just like, oh, that's not for me. And they're just like I'm done. But I love your analogy there because it's so true. I would never wire you money to go fight Conor McGregor. (laughs) Well,
0: you wouldn't, and that's what people think is going to happen when they're going to take on one of these deals. And I'll I'll be very direct with the listeners of your show. You're disrespecting Reed when you say that you can go do what he's done, listening to podcasts and reading books. It's disrespectful. Like he's done the work in order to build this thing. Like. If you guys haven't dug into his story, you absolutely need to. But don't do that. Like put some respect into what's actually happening here because it's hard. It really is hard. And people don't tell you that because they want you to pay for the course. But it's <laughs> difficult.
1: I want to now segue a little bit into your the Myers method. Talk to me about what that is and how you've used it to build the, the portfolio that you're you now have built today and, and really how that's helped you and help others, you know. Along the path towards financial freedom. Yeah, man. I every
0: time I hear that, I, I kind of get a chill up my spine. It was like, who comes up with these things, right? And it was my buddy, <laughs> my buddy James Bryant. He said, uh, "Hey, man, we're using the Myers method." I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "We we do it the same way every time. Don't you get it?" And I was like, "No, we we we're just buying an apartment." He's like, "No, think about it. We find it, fund it, fix it, and flip it. That's what we do every time." Think about it. I was like, well, why is it the Myers method? Because you showed me how to do it. I was like, okay, great. Well, I guess we'll just go with it, right? But it's fine, fun, fix, and flip. If we think it's a four-step process that works every single time, I think that if you try to do stuff out of sequence, you, you end up in a mess. And you know, finding is all the deal flow, It's all the leads, it's all of that, right? Trying to make sure that you're in a great spot. Once you get something under contract, you move into funding it. And here you put together your business plan, put together your team that's going to take the deal down, and you get the deal funded by going to the bank and everybody bringing their cash. Again, we're talking about joint ventures, right? Um, And then fixing it is after you close, you execute your business plan. Hopefully, you're able to grow the net operating income, and that will grow your valuation. And then flipping it is one of two exits. You either sell it. Or you refinance it and you get your original investment back we don't like partial refis we want to get all of the money back out and so that's kind of one of our criteria when we buy a deal we want to be able to refinance in the first five years and be able to return everybody's initial risk capital
1: interesting and so that must mean that you're really looking for deals that are heavily value add to really move that needle to get all that equity out, right? Yeah, I
0: mean, I, I know a lot of people are saying value-add is dead or is value-add dead, but I do think if you buy a deal properly, you can go in, put the right amount of money in, and be able to refi because you were able to grow rents or you know reduce expenses in a meaningful way. I think that's the only way to buy property because I know that there's some stuff that's gonna go wrong. It's just kind of a matter of when it happens. And so when you know that buying it absolutely right is extremely important. And I I think some people are getting a little aggressive. I think they're buying things and if the cap rate doesn't compress, their business plan is not going to work.
1: So how do you go and then find those deals? Because it's all about, at least in my mind today, cap rates are compressing across the nation. Um, How are you finding those gems or the needle in the haystack? Mm -hmm. Because, It feels like every deal has been picked over by some investor at this point.
0: Yeah, I I do think a lot of the deals are picked over. And I think this is the difference in strategy, man. You, You buy the big boys, right? You're doing 100, 150, 200, 250 or bigger. I think for every 100 unit deal, there's 10 that are less than 50, right? And so people aren't reaching out to those owners and talking to them about their equity. And I think there's a There was like a generational thing where people who are ready to retire right now bought a bunch of those buildings and now they are real estate rich and cash poor and they need to figure out how to unlock that equity. And I'm more than willing to come in and help them unlock their equity as long as they give me a great price on that property. And I don't need a broker to do it. And this is my game for the big stuff. They want mass appeal. They want as many people to see that deal as possible so they can get top dollar. For this other stuff, if they don't go to a broker, then I really set a market and I'm competing against myself. And that for me is a competitive advantage.
1: That's a really, really, you know, you're speaking the truth there again as well. Um, How do you go out and find these for those listeners who are are interested in this strategy? How do you go and find those mom and pop investors who own these things and what systems have you set up in place so you can be successful in that lead gen?
0: Yeah. Fortunately for me, we've built a community where I, I don't have to go out and look for the deals anymore. Usually what happens is somebody's got a deal that's too big for them and they need somebody else to come in and help them get the deal done. And so I, I get pretty excited about that type of stuff, assuming that they use our analysis and methodology to qualify the deal. right? But for when I was doing a bunch of stuff, I mean, direct mail, phone calls, real estate meetups, conferences, like all of these opportunities to interact with folks, it was the game. And I know a lot of people feel like they're above it, but Any tactic that a wholesaler uses to get a single-family home, you can use on multifamily. All that information is public. You just have to get them on the line and see what their interests are.
1: No, hundred percent, and I get pinged all the time because my name keeps popping up on all these LLCs, and I'm always just like, "Hey, you are uh, you? Will it really sell?" Like, no, go away. <laughs> when I'm ready to Beam, sell, hang up. Hang <laughs> <on>. <laughs> when I'm ready to sell,
0: the broker will reach out to you and let you know. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not. I'm not going to sell this direct to you know, because I'm just being a good guy. <laughs> but in those small, in what you're saying in the smaller, less than fifty units, that you can find those mom and pop investors, and and I and I guess. You, you say community and it is so powerful to build a community where you have the consistent deal pipeline coming through and you don't really have to lift a finger because you've helped train other people to go out and find it and be your little minions running around doing you know, foot soldiers, doing all the hard work to unearth the gold and bring it back to – Their master, which is you, to say, Hey, man, can you help? Can you take this down?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, maybe don't think about it that way. But what I do think is this, right? The thing that makes a person valuable who doesn't have the experience and capital is the deal, right? When I think Mm -hmm. about every time where I move to the next level, it was because I had a deal, right? It's absolutely because I've had a deal. And if you don't have a deal, then why would somebody partner with you?
1: Well, I know today, like in, in mindset with capital raising is so much about the chicken and the egg. What do you raise? Do you raise capital? Do you find the deal? I personally now, you know, rewind eight years ago, seven, eight years ago when I was really nervous about capital raising. Yes, it was all about like, oh, i got to raise the capital. But I think today there's so much capital on the sideline for hungry for multifamily that you find a cracking deal. You're going you're gonna to be inundated with cash and you will have no issue purchasing it it's just about buying it at the right price and having those tactical negotiations directly with the seller in your example that you can buy it at a decent price and you, you know because you make money when you buy not when you sell so so i love it jerome we're coming to the end of the show but i'd love to understand what's the goals for 2021 i know coming out of 2020 was a really rough year for, for across the globe what do you got planned and and, and where are you headed yeah so
0: I want to help people buy at least 300 doors this year. And for you, that's three transactions. For me, I don't know how many it's going to be, but that's really what I want to do. We have a 120 unit new development deal that we've been working on for about a year and a half. And so we want to break ground on that towards the fourth quarter of 2021. And we've got a really cool conference coming up that we want to pack out and just have more people get exposure to some of the top thought leaders in the multifamily space who might not get a microphone at some of the larger conferences in the country.
1: Awesome. When is that conference? Yeah, so
0: it's going to be March 19th through the 21st of 2021.
1: Yeah. Just before my birthday. Good to know. March babies. I'm (laughs) March 5th, man. So we're rocking it out. I'm March 24th. It is. March 24th. Yeah, man. Well, look, man, I want to uh, thank you for coming on the show. But at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: Yeah, this one is fun. Six miles of running.
1: You do six miles every day. No, let's try it. Six. Give me six days. Give me a day off. (laughs) you a big runner no i hate
0: running (laughs) i hate it i started doing it yeah april 15th last year i started doing it and i haven't stopped since and i will tell you that you know the level of traction that we got in the business after i started doing that really hard thing it changed dramatically and i'm almost scared that life will go back to what it was before i started running now so i'm Maybe I'm running scared.
1: The power of running, and I run a little bit as well. It's 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 very meditative and that that's sort of the beat and controlling your breath. And you feel if you're not when you're not a runner, that you hit that wall and you got to push and you got, got, got to push through it. You got to push through it. You got to push through it. It's it's so painful because it's running and it hurts. And you know, every single inch of you hurts is in pain. And you finally get there, and then all of a sudden you start getting. You know you talk about sea legs earlier in the show. You talk about your running legs and your, your muscle memory gets used to it and it gets easier and easier and easier and you and if i know people who who aren't runners and they take like two or three days off and it's just like back to square one you know <laughs> it just it's like oh gosh it's the mental but the mental power of it is is really important and i think running is one of the best things you can do not only for your body but for your mind to help you push that that barrier so awesome stuff uh question number two is who is the most influential person in your career
0: Can I say my parents as one person because they are everything for me from the standpoint of, you know, I'm just trying to make my mom and my dad proud. Like I want them to smile when they think about me and all the investments that they made. And I think I'm being successful. But, you know, that's that's the whole game. I want them to smile and I want my mom to be able to go brag when she talks to her friends and I want my dad to say yeah. Good job, son. I'm proud of you. That that's that's everything.
1: That's awesome, dude. Love it. I love it. And it it sounds like they I heard earlier in the show when you're talking about your mom and your dad about the, the Tonka trucks and being being the garbo is that they had a real big impact on the direction you took in life. And I think they. Uh, so many parents go uh, – their, their upbringing goes unthanked. So thanks, mum and dad. <laughs> thanks, Jerome, mom and dad. <laughs> uh, now question number three, what is the most influential tool in your business that you use on a daily basis? And when I say tool, it could be a piece of software. It could be a physical tool like a notepad or a, or a, or a phone. What is it? You know, it's going to sound
0: crazy, but LinkedIn – is the tool right i mean that's how we met that's how i got to talk with you Rockstar. like literally i don't know how you get access to people any other way at this scale right and for the people who run their own accounts like they're real people right they're not just this i, I don't even know what to call it but like out there so far that you can't reach them and have a conversation with them. And I've just met some of the coolest people through that platform and built real relationships where we can really connect. And if I come across something big, I can reach out and say, hey, this is too big for me. I'd love to be a part of it, but I need help. That's for me, that network makes your network for sure.
1: Question number four, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure and what did you learn from that failure?
0: The biggest failure is not getting into multifamily earlier, and what I've learned from that is you can, when you aren't actually the person that owns it, you're not in control. And other people, and I can keep going, but basically, other people can let you run it, be their manager, and then to make you do things that you wouldn't normally do. And this goes back to the layoffs and stuff.
1: Uh, Last question is, where can people reach to continue the conversation?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn, baby. I'm there every day trying to uplift some people, encourage them, challenge them a little bit to make sure that they're living out their best life. I believe their dreams should be real, and I want everybody to walk in that space if possible.
1: I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I want to just summarize a few of the key takeaways that I took away from today's show. I love the tuner in the boat analogy. I think that was the number one takeaway. Like, Make sure you're going fishing in the right size boat, but when you come back, put it on the dock so people see your catch and then they want to go fishing with you again. So I love that sort of start small mentality. And I think it's really important to start small in the multifamily business. And We talked a lot about the, 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 the gurus out there, so the spruikers who are telling people they can go to jump to being a syndicator instantly, but you've got to crawl before you can walk. And you've got to walk before you can run and you've got to run before you can sprint. So, all that stuff is take the small boat, go grab, grab a couple of fish, bring it back to the dock, dry them out, show people what you can do, and then build up. Get a slightly bigger boat and slowly build up over time. I think that was a really powerful analogy for me. Uh, I loved your the find, fund, fix, and flip. You know the the, the Myers method. I think that's freaking awesome that you've created your own method and something you can hang your hat on. But overall, I love that you've created community as well and that you've got your parents to thank for it. So. Did I leave anything out? No,
0: those are phenomenal, Reed. Thanks for summing that up. Who knew that you could boil down a 50-minute episode to 30 <laughs> seconds? That's, that's outstanding, man.
1: Mate, my notes are really detailed. I'm scribbling down here. <laughs> well, mate, look, I want to again thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jerome. If you do want to check out Jerome, please head over to LinkedIn and just type in his name, Jerome Myers, on LinkedIn. He'll come up. He is very, very active. That's how we got connected uh, via LinkedIn. Some of the posts that he was doing, really incredible stuff over there. Go check him out um, and just get in his sphere because he's got some incredible things going on, including his new event that's coming up here at the March, between March uh, 19th and 21st. So definitely want to check that out and attend if you can. All right, guys, I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give the show a five-star review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, uh, and you can find this show wherever you find your podcasts. And we're going to do it all again next week. So Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life. A crack.